Hi, you're listening to Kate and Catherine, and we're going to show you how to find your Prince Charming so that you can finally live happily ever after <laughs> forever and ever. No. No. <laughs> no. We are definitely not going to do that. We are sick of that story, and it's a lie. It is a lie. You're listening to The New Truth, a modern woman's guide to extraordinary love. We are going to show you how the fairy tale love story stops you from experiencing the love you truly desire. Listen to hear how to break free from sacrifice and struggle in relationship. And learn the new truth about love in a way that you've never heard it before. We're so happy you're here. Keep listening. All right, babes. I am so excited. Episode 76. The Path to Soulful Love with Rachel Maddox. Rachel has been my coach, my teacher. I am trained in her method. She is a game-changing woman, and I am so happy to have her on the podcast. And this was, I mean, we essentially just finished recording, and Kate and I are just like floating in an epic love. <laughs> Mouths dropped open. I want to listen to this again and again. What you are going to hear is Rachel's path to soulful love and all of the steps that were needed to be taken on the way there, how to root deeply into your soul over and over and over again. And she, of course, shares the launch of her epic book that just came out, Rebloom. All those links are below. Run to get that book. And this is the episode you're going to listen to again and again, and also the episode you're going to share with all of your friends. <laughs> so, uh, so much, so much here. Yes. <clears throat> I'm like, I don't even know what to say. So it was my first time meeting Rachel. I've been hearing about her for a long time from Catherine and a couple other friends of mine. And yeah, this woman is magic. And I feel I, I mean, her, her work and my, and both of our work, obviously you're trained by her, but is so aligned and there's just so much resonance and I feel transformed. I feel like a deepening into my own belief of what I do and like anchoring that occurred just from the transmission of how she embodies what she taught, like really living from your soul, which is what I'm so anchored into doing in my own life. And and helping women do. And I think that's the whole purpose of this podcast is loving and loving and living from your soul. And this, she gives you the blueprint of how to do that. And it's so just her beingness and energy is so magical. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. So Rachel is a trauma resolution educator, coach, and guy who's helped hundreds of humans move from sexual complex or developmental trauma into pleasure, power, and trust-filled relationships. Her most recent book, Rebloon, Archetypal Trauma Resolution for Personal and Collective Healing, takes readers on a mystical journey through seven archetypes for post-traumatic growth and teaches healers how to effectively and ethically work with trauma. Known as a leader in the industry, Rachel teaches and mentors other coaches, healers, and therapists who are devoted to trauma-informed, radically inclusive, pleasure-positive approaches to changing lives and culture in a renowned 
renowned 18 month trauma resolution coach certification, the Rebloom Coach Training. You can get a taste of Rachel's medicine at rebloomtogether.com forward slash coherence, where she tells the story of the seven archetypes and how they can awaken your bravest rebloom. Rachel, is medicine and she will remind you through this whole episode the medicine of who you are and may you find the courage to follow your truth you know it's so interesting i keep thinking yes these are the messages of our podcast and may like rachel brings it into no longer conceptual right like everyone oh follow your truth follow your heart like many women i mean you can say that to yourself every single day but the embodiment of having the courage to follow your truth and actually make the decisions that support that right are the work and you'll hear several incredible love stories that rachel shares you'll hear the gifts of what it means to really practice non-attachment what it means to really respect and honor other people as you respect and honor yourself and please remember as always you are sacred and the path of finding soulful love starts with treating yourself that way and only being willing to surround yourself with people who revere you and support you and celebrate you and no matter where you are on your journey in love this episode will be healing so enjoy enjoy rachel maddox oh my god I am so happy to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for being with us. Yay, I'm so happy to be here with you both. We are celebrating the release of your epic second book. I have known you, I've I've realized, I think, since you started your business, which was in what, 2000, what again? Gosh. I think probably 2012, 2012, that's when I found you on Instagram, resonated with your message immediately. You were doing something different than anything I had seen. And the way I felt around you is what I remember the most. And so as we come into this interview today, I am someone who's not only trained in your work, has been uh, client of yours and you've changed my life and I can't wait for everyone to hear you. So how does it feel to have Rebloom, your second book out in the world? How are you doing? (laughs) I'm so good. I'm so relieved. Um, This book was like a three and a half year journey and all I want to do is nothing now. <laughs> so great. It's like I have so much mental, emotional, creative space that's opened up. And I'm just very grateful that I'm not rushing to fill the space. I'm just receiving this being out and me getting to like chill for a little while, which is sort of the opposite about of what most people would do. They'd put something out and then they would like gung ho promotion and courses and da da da. I'm just like, I just can't. <laughs> I've done that for long enough. I just want to rest. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Well, I'm so, so happy for you. So happy for you. And while we're on the topic of the book, for Mm -hmm. those of us that don't know what it's about, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So the subtitle is Archetypal Trauma Resolution for Personal and Collective Healing. And Rebloom is essentially a method and... There are these seven archetypes for post-traumatic growth, 
that move through a developmental life cycle. So they start at the youngest ages and stages of your development and move all the way into your most mature potential. They also start with like very personal traumas and move into collective traumas. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that each archetype has a natural blueprint of health or a superpower, a way that it's designed to grow and thrive. And then it's also susceptible to a specific traumatic imprint or wound. And when we're embodying the wounds of the archetypes, we have either hyper or hypo physiologies, physiologies that are reacting either with like fight, flight, hypervigilance, hypersocialized, hypersocialized, you know, embodiment or freeze, depression, lethargy, but specific variations of that per archetype. Um, and so for each of these archetypes, there's a path back to the blueprint uh, that's both somatic, so embodied, but also cognitive. Um, and when we're living from the seven blueprints of these archetypes, our lives, our contributions, our relationships, our businesses become regenerative. They regenerate wellness. They regenerate love. Um, our lives become sort of an upward spiral of health and healing and goodness for ourselves and the world. Of course, when we're living in the imprints, our lives can be a little bit of a shit show um, and our culture as well. And so I consider myself in a lot of ways an alchemist, somebody who can create a container that's sturdy and strong enough for difficulty to come into it. And then for love, for care, for presence, for attunement to transform that difficulty back into you know, a greater state. And I feel like these archetypes in this book is that alchemical container that people can receive if they're looking for their own post-traumatic growth. And also it's written for coaches and therapists and guides who want to facilitate trauma resolution with their clients and in our culture. Amazing. <laughs> Love that. So that would probably be a great segue into you sharing a story that you feel compelled to share of maybe before and after probably a love story would be relevant to this episode <laughs> yeah. um, but of of how when you're in the archetypes how you what what your patterns look like what your life look like what your love life look like and then the transformation into where you are now I think the love life would be you know obviously apropos to talk about here mm -hmm. um and it's funny or it's fun to think about it in the context of the archetypes I think maybe I'll just start with like a general, a more general story and then yeah, see how the yeah. archetypes might overlay. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been, in, I've had a lot of love in my life, a lot of love stories. I got married when I was, well, I met someone when I was 18 and then we got married young and then I got divorced young. So I was with someone from 18 to 25 and that was like a really lovely protective shell for me because prior to that, I'd experienced a bit of sexual and mm -hmm. interpersonal trauma. But then I was 25 and single for the first time with a lot of unresolved trauma that I hadn't looked at, touched anything. And so from 25 to about 30 or so, about five years of just like all the dating, a lot of little six month lovers here and there, um, you know, one-off experiences, plenty of those. And in that phase of my life, I think I was really just learning that I mattered at all. 
that it was okay for me to have needs. It was okay for me, or not even just, it was okay, but like, what is it that I really need in order for this thing called dating to not feel horrific, to not feel dangerous? Um, Because I ended up having a number of challenging situations in that period of time. And almost always it came back to, I don't really regard or revere revere myself as sacred. These sensitivities, Mm -hmm. these emotional needs, um, this mystical, you know, witchy self, I'm not really regarding her as sacred. And because of that, my sovereignty, my boundaries are being violated in a number of ways that I'm essentially consenting to, Mm -hmm. not because I want to, but because I don't actually have a plumped up sense of self and sense of self-regard. So there was a lot of that and a lot of challenges with that. And then I met a man, I mean, I could really give you like the whole rundown, but I met a man on the dance floor. I was 27 and he was 57. Whoa. We did not know (laughs) that he was 27 and I was 57. We just met on the dance floor, like an ecstatic dance. There was no talking, whatever. And you know how an ecstatic dance, like, I don't know if any of y'all have done that, but how you don't talk on the dance floor. And oftentimes you'll just maybe share, if you have like a magical moment with someone, you'll maybe share one dance and then you like bow and you go on your way. Mm-hmm. Well, we shared one dance and then we were like not bowing and going on our <laughs> way. We were going to share another dance and another uh-huh. dance. And by the end of the night, we had danced together like six or seven times. I mean, he had literally lifted me up and spun me around like a crazy movie, you know, like it was just so <laughs> cliche and ridiculous, but we pull over to the side of the dance floor. And we're like, what's your name? what's your name? How old are you? And I was like, guess. And he was like 37. I was like, no, I'm 27. He was like, shit. I was like, well, what, how old are you? And he goes, I was like, he was like, guess. I was like 47. He was like 57. And I was like, fuck, Uh because we are going to do this dance. Like we have to do this dance. So that man and I became lovers and it was the best best thing ever. We had six months of, he had just gotten out of a bad relationship. I had had a really hard winter and we just kind of helped each other heal. And he helped me really regard my body and my sexuality in a way that I hadn't before. Mm -hmm. Um, I helped him, you know, heal with pieces of his heart. And what was amazing about that. And what I think doesn't get enough press in terms of loverships is like the people that, you know, you're not going to really build a partnership with you can have the opportunity to go all the way with something without Mm -hmm. worrying about like, is this going to work out or not Mm -hmm. long-term? We were able to go all the way with just offering each other the wildest love and the wildest romance and the wildest Mm -hmm. care, Mm -hmm. knowing that it would end, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think actually can freed us up because then it was like, okay, I can overlook some of the things that wouldn't be perfect if we were going to be in the long-term partnership. And I can just receive what's magical here. I think that's how we should always go into it because you never know how it's good. Your mind can think, okay, this is a partnership forever, but you can't know. So that's so beautiful. Like wild to go into wild love and just allow it to be whatever it's going to be because no one knows. No one knows. Yeah. And when we met that night, we made up, we literally made a vow to each other. We were sitting like pretzel leg crossed, looking at each other. And I was like, will you be my doorway to spring? And he was like, yeah, just, 
we were like, deal. Mm-hmm. So we like shook on just the season, which of course, by the end, I was like, I want you to have my babies. Like, get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but um, mm-hmm. it's great. I'm still friends with him. He's awesome. Wow. So, I think yeah. inside of that, I didn't know that story. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, we, we had, I know I can't wait to hear all the epic love stories. I, I had no capacity. I mean, I, I really want to acknowledge the capacity and thank you for just sharing about the agreement the two of you made because I think like we can the the fantasy of something like that is I'm going to not be conscious of the truth that's present between the two of us like there's there was a level of consciousness around okay we're not forever and I'm letting myself go all in and I think that takes a lot that takes capacity and mindfulness and whatever development of self-regard you had at that time from Mm -hmm. the the 25 and I'm assuming you mean you ended your marriage at 25 Mm -hmm. right to then 27 but we had a conversation with someone last week where we just talked about how few women let themselves have fun yeah. Right. Like when it has to be, where's my forever, mm-hmm. we miss out on the healing experiences in the way you just shared. So that's, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Well, I owe a lot, I think to one of my first mentors, her name was Jen Lemon and she, she was about 20 years older than me. We were in like a mentorship kind of thing for almost a decade. And she was just a wild love story woman, right. For better and for worse. <laughs> um, and she taught me a lot about going for it. Also, I think it's just part of my nature to go for I it. I've had a lot of so. <laughs> I'm um, glad you're owning that. You have That's curly hair. Of you. <laughs> in, in somatic psychology, curly hair is wildness. So like you, uh, it's really hard to tame a woman with curly hair. My best friend has curly hair like that. So there you Very go. Very true. Very true. I'm definitely untamable. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Glennon Doyle, I could have written that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that love story was so epic. And then, you know, I think, I think, like, from there, um, like travels around moving around had some big life shit shows happen, whatever. Long story short, I end up moving to San Diego. And I was 30. And I was like, okay, I want to do I want to get more serious about who I really am and who I want to be with. And I have dated a million people like, okay, I'm not fucking around anymore, but right away. And maybe this can kind of overlay onto some of the archetype stuff too. moved to San Diego. And I didn't really have any friends. I met a guy who is a, is still a dear friend of mine, but we tried to be in romance together and it was a total disaster. Um, But the thing was, I was really short on my needs, on having my like community needs met. I didn't know anyone yet. And I think a lot of times in love, when we don't have our own wide base of relational support with people outside of whomever we're dating, we end up putting up with so much bullshit. And this guy was very appealing to me because we had a lot in common. We were both kind of (laughs) strong-headed, music musically inclined or musicians, non-monogamous, just kind of outspoken about certain things. And so we had a lot of chemistry, Um, but, you know, he ended up really not regarding more of like the mystical sensitive parts of me. 
And so we went through this whole thing. And this is this, this is another story I want to tell. We went through this whole thing. I was basically tortured. I was somehow convinced that like this very non-reciprocal, non-fulfilling, kind of annoying, non-love, like non-relationship was meant to be my thing, right? I was meant to marry this non-relationship person or some bullshit like that, right? And then I got really fed up. I was like, I'm so over this. I'm continuing to get hurt. This is not working for me, you know, whatever. And so I did, I did all of these rituals. I did like a week of rituals where I was like writing these letters that I didn't send to him, but I was like declaring them to God. I was going down to the ocean. I was making my prayers. I was like ripping shit up. And I was like, okay, can we please have a goodbye ceremony? Like I need to really make a break here because this is just a weird, messy dynamic. And he's like, sure. So we go to this overlook at the beach and we literally passed by a sign that said dead end. Like this is the end, right? So there was a real literal sign, the end. We were supposed to exchange letters, but he never wrote a letter. And then he was mad at me because my letter was rude. So whatever. I rip my letter up. I throw it over to the ocean. He leaves. An hour later, I go to the farmer's market and I'm walking and I'm looking around and there's this gorgeous man who sees me kind of trying to figure out where I should go. He was running one of the booths and he like, asks me if I want a sample, he calls me over essentially. And then the first words out of his mouth are, I think my babies could use some of that hair. Speaking of wild curly hair. And I looked at him, I'm like, this man is fucking gorgeous. Like not just visually, but he was visually gorgeous. Like his soul was like, like shooting out of his eyes. Oh my God. I so understand that statement. That's like my biggest turn on. Soul yes. Oh my eyes. God. Most sultry eyes ever. And that man, I ended up being with him for the next year and a half. And it was right on the heels of getting super clear about what didn't work for me. Like literally yes. an hour later, <laughs> Wow! after this week of rituals and the final That's goodbye, it. I meet this guy and he was, I still consider him like a heartmate. He, he helped heal some of the deepest wounds in my heart around just my lovability he regarded me as such like a queen and, and all of that. And he was amazing. He was such an amazing person. He's still like truly the most, I don't know, enlightened human I've ever met. He's like half human, half saint. And, but the thing is, and I want to just like, I'll cap off the story because there's this theme of getting really clear. He's such an incredible man. And there were things about me that couldn't come fully out in our relationship. He was more traditional. He's, he was African. He was raised in a more kind of traditional context. Um, definitely not monogamous or definitely monogamous, not like polyamorous. Um, and we also had just certain skills that weren't like fully a match. And so I was tortured because this man was like the love of my life in terms of my heart. But I like that my soul's aliveness was repressed. Mm. And I was constantly tortured going back and forth. Well, can I just like awaken my soul on my own or, and like stay with this man? And eventually um, a similar kind of story unfolded where I was like, okay, I'm going to devote to marrying my soul's aliveness. Like what are the things that I need in order to feel fully, fully alive? And I kind of came up with that list and I looked at it and I realized I really, not only could he not meet me in all of those places, but some of those places didn't have room to come forward if our relationship was what it was. Oh. So we broke up and um, 
It was the sweetest breakup ever. He was just like, I feel like I'm meant to deliver you to the love of your life. Like he was, he's just, again, saint, like beyond human. And then again, I started doing these rituals and I was like, you know, just getting super into the experience of marrying my own soul's aliveness. And I'd go down to the ocean and I would yell at God. I'd be like, listen, God, I'm, I'm ready to not hold this life alone. And one day I was feeling really cheeky and I just like, put this post up on Instagram, which was me in this like little yellow dress, like dancing, like my nipples kind of like erect, like through my dress. And like, <laughs> I was just like feeling really flirty. And it was like calling in my, my ideal love or something like that. And I had all these hashtags that like named the things, but one of the things that I was really clear about was I needed to be with someone who was non-monogamous. So the next night, the next night I'm at a, at a restaurant working at like a high bar table on my book. I've got magical papers strewn everywhere with my little handwriting. It's 7 p.m. It's like a Saturday night. Like nobody's out working on a Saturday night, but I was because this goddamn book was not finished yet, right? <laughs> Story of the last three years. And this man walks in to this restaurant in like La Jolla, which is not a creative town, right? With a big painting pad in his hand. And he looks down at me at my table and I look up at him and he goes, I think our brains work the same way. <laughs> And I'm like, well, yeah, you've got a painting pad at a restaurant on a Saturday night in La Jolla, like probably. <laughs> and it turns out he was like studying for some grad, um, grad school exam in environmental science, but he made all of his notes in a painting pad, like color coordinated. Like he was like a creative scientist and we're talking next to each other. And he's asking me about what I'm doing. I tell him I'm working on my book. He's like, I want to read that book. I'm like, a man is wanting to read my book about trauma. Very interesting. And then he asks me if I've read the book, The Ethical Slut by Esther Perel. I mean, not by Esther Perel. I forget who it's by, but it's like a poly handbook. And I was like, oh my God, I've just met a very friendly, very curious, very attractive and creative and attuned polyamorous man at a restaurant in La Jolla. Like this does not happen. And we ended up going on a date a few days later. And I looked at him and I was like, this is my fucking my person. And I'm not trying to glorify the like, when you know, you know thing, but that's the way my system is. Like when I know, I know. When you know your soul, you know, your soul's match and that doesn't get yes. enough credit. And I I'm like on the verge of tears. This is how I feel all the time around you, <laughs> but I love hearing these other stories to highlight one, your commitment and devotion to having what you need to knowing yourself we're not we haven't heard all the other things that you were doing in every other aspect of your life to be aligned with who you are mm -hmm. but there's an element of soul recognition which can only happen when you know your own soul and most women don't we live in a soulless world mm -hmm. we, we live in a world that doesn't even have soul around fucking love which is what I'm here for, to bring the soul back into love. The fairy tale has no soul. The way most people are doing partnership, there's no soul. It's transactional bullshit. Mm. It's security bullshit. It's, it's projection and projection, you know? And so I, I'm, you're allowed to claim that. And obviously it's still freaking working out and getting better and better. Yeah. Um, but I, my favorite is this, this ritual. And I hope you'll share more about coherence practice because you haven't talked about 
that yet. And that's one of the things that has brought me home to myself and my soul's aliveness to be really clear around all decisions that I make. And it's, and I'm sure that's a thread in each of these uh, pieces, but I just love, you know, the magnetism. I'm sure all the people who hate online dating are psyched about <laughs> these oh, stories yeah. with you. And I've never, I've like, <laughs> I've always hated online dating. And I think if you're a person who hates online dating, it's because you're, you're meant to meet people in the wild. So you should just be more bold with, with that. Yes. And when you're in the wild, following your soul and like in do like do, doing the thing that you wouldn't normally do and in the place you wouldn't right. normally do it with like yeah. open to conversations with strangers and not, you know, I, I mean, even there's the piece of, I think so many people nowadays, and I can, I can see this in myself, not when I'm in Nosara, Costa Rica, but in, I, when I'm at home, like sometimes when strangers talk to you, it's like, why are you talking? What do you want? Like, what, is there something like, you know, there's this lack of trust. Mm-hmm. For, for people in connection and but like when you're really anchored and I think it's a combination of being able to be wild free in yourself but also be be rooted in your boundaries like I think that's yeah. the bigger reason why why a lot of women have a hard time being free in that way yeah. is because they don't know how to speak up when it's a no and there's the pleaser and the uh, you know, I'll just go with this and keep talking to this person, even if I don't want to anymore, or even if it doesn't yeah. feel good. And so like so much of it is being awakened to all of these deeper parts of ourselves that we are able to, you know, walk away if something doesn't feel good, say no when it doesn't feel good, but also allow when it does and you get to experience the whole range. That's so cool. That is so true. That is so true. And I think like, if I think back to that first phase of my dating life where it was just more bad things were continuing to happen, it's because I didn't have my no. And there's actually a ritual on my website. I'm trying to think of the the new link for it. I think it's called, it's at rachelmaddox.com slash egg ritual, I think is what it's called. (laughs) Um, But this is a ritual that can help you really not just embody your no, but also ritualize the claiming of your no. Um, It's an embodied practice where you you reflect on all the things you never got to say no to, whether they were explicit incidents or kind of cultural phenomenon. And then you let yourself dance for a few songs that have a no type energy and you let yourself just start saying no and you feel for what's the one thing that you want to claim today that you'll like today and every day moving forward for all the times you didn't or couldn't, you're now saying no to this and you write it on an egg and you let the energy from your body move down Mm -hmm. into the egg and then you smash the egg and you say no. And it's a fantastic ritual to do in a group. Um, it's something I've done in groups like across the country multiple times. Did we ever do that, Catherine? Mm-mm. But no. we ha- we were doing the gatekeeper practice, which doing yeah. that coherence practice in a group <laughs> was the practice, but we didn't do that. No. It's a really powerful one, especially because when you get to witness what everybody's saying no to, it's like my no, um, like your no and my no, like all three of our no's are for each other. They're not just for ourselves. And you start to feel this collective no to anything that would violate what's, yeah. what's, what's, what's holy. Like the me too movement, just like the, yeah. the, the, the collective energy of, of the more we have that anchor in ourselves, the more we give other women permission, even just energetically 
I love that so much. I do a similar exercise in Greece. I might add the egg thing. I'll give you credit, but that's yeah. so cool. I, I do. I have a transformational uh, deep dive with women in Greece. And I love that about the egg. Like it's just so, so that's so awesome. So powerful. I write the whole story of that ritual and doing it in groups in Rebloom in the yeah. book, in the gatekeeper yeah. chapter. Okay. So the gatekeeper archetype is the archetype of sovereignty and healthy boundaries and the imprint, the so that's the blueprint and the imprint or the traumatic wound is exploitation, which is what so many of us are always experiencing specifically in dating or with our sexualities. When we don't feel comfortable, we can have either hypo boundaries. So a sense that like anything can get in and we don't really know what's getting in or how it got in or, oh shoot, it's too late. I'm in bed. I can't say no now or whatever, mm-hmm. or hyper boundaries, oh. impenetrable boundaries where we don't let good things in because we don't trust that we can tell the difference. And so when you get an embodied sense, when you can like reawaken the mobility between yes and no, between opening and closing or between penetrating and hanging back or pulling out, Mm. when you can like remobilize those muscles as opposed to something being stuck open or stuck closed or stuck over giving or stuck in hiding Mm -hmm. that's when love and dating gets really fun and really juicy because you have all of the choice in the world yes yes yeah absolutely I love that I love it I love so many of your little your isms your like little words that you use like lovability and my soul's alive marry my soul's aliveness and and mm-hmm. just my soul's aliveness, just even that anchor. I just, oh my gosh, so good. Okay, can you keep telling your story? Like, yeah. What? So you're sitting, you're oh. sitting across the table from your man, saying, "This is my person." That's where we left yeah, off. So get this: <laughs> I'm sitting across the table from my boyfriend, current boyfriend, and what happened was I got all green lights in my body. So I tend to be somebody at, at this point, right? I was like, I'm not fucking around, so. I'm looking for where this is going to end, not from a place of impenetrable boundaries, but from a place of like, I'm just, I'm ready for a real deal thing. And I'm like doing that thing I do where I unconsciously scan for where this isn't going to work. And there was just no, there was no end in sight. I was like, oh, holy shit. Right. And we have this amazing date and we go to the ocean and we're like, hooking up on the rocks and like literally the first time we hook up, like he literally is licking my pussy on the rocks under like, <laughs> like the ocean is spraying onto us under the moonlight, like boom. <laughs> but I'm stopping. Cause I'm like, okay, dude, like, where is this go- Like, what's going on here? Like I got mega feelings for you. And he's a little bit younger than me. And he had just gotten out of a pretty not great relationship and had been sort of like a serial relationship person, like had been in relationships forever, ever. And was like, had just made this commitment to himself that he was gonna be single for a year because he's literally never been single for a year kind of thing. And I was like, wow, this is not gonna work. Cause like, I'm not gonna just hang around here in this awkward position. So, so I, I really couldn't help myself. I'm a little bit strategic from time to time. And I was like, all right, what's my best shot at like, at this working out without being attached to it working out. I was like, the only way I can do this is 100% honor him. So, but let us fall in love a little bit more first. So that was my strategy. I'm going to honor you hundred percent, but first we're going to like fall in love. So 
because I was like, I, I know this is a thing like done. Like, so basically we had another few dates. We went to an epic play party together. It was like one of like the peak sexual experiences of my life. He was a beekeeper, of course. And one of the archetypes in my book is the pollinator. So I was like, you got to read the pollinator chapter and give me feedback. So we had like three things that we wanted to do together. I write him this letter. That's like the best letter I've ever written. And I was like, listen, I've heard what you've said about needing to be single. I need you to honor yourself and I need to honor you. However, I think it would be fun if we do these three things before we say goodbye. (laughs) It's like, you read the pollinator chapter, uh, we go to the sex party and we have a little bit of a debrief. And then we say goodbye. And then we don't talk it for, cause he he was like, I don't know, he was maybe six months in. So we don't talk for another six months. And he got the letter and he read it and he was like, shit, okay, you're right, thank you. And so we did all of those things and then we had like this big goodbye or whatever. And we were at the door at my little brown house saying goodbye. And I looked at him and I just said, I love you. I love myself and I love the mystery. And that was our goodbye. I love you, I love me, I love the mystery. Like, let's see what happens. Oh, okay. So from then on, I was tortured, but I was doing what I had to do because I had to honor him. It was like, if we were going to be together, he needed this space. We already fell in love. It was very clear. And then that was it. It was just like, okay, I got to really let him do what he needs to do. So we didn't talk. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go date people. I'm going to try to like, get my. I'm like dating this guy, like thinking about Sean while we're having sex. I'm like, oh, this is not really great, whatever. But you know, I was trying. Cause I really didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but I knew in my heart, I was like, this is my guy. I'm just gonna, I just have to surrender. And it was so much surrender, so much surrender, so much surrender. And then at some point it hadn't been six months, but I was reading this book about uh, the shamanic path of the bee. It's a really magical bee- beekeepers book, initiatory, like beekeeping book. And I can't stop thinking about him. And I'm, so I sent him a text. I'm like, Hey, is there any way that you want to read this book to each other on the phone? Because at this point he's like moved out of San Diego. He's kind of like a hithering titherer. Um, and he responds immediately and was like, yes, it's so good to hear from you. I just got in a horrible car accident. I have a concussion. It was like two days ago. I got in a horrible car accident. I have a concussion. Um, my brain's not fully working, but I would really love to do this with you. I'm like, okay. This was two weeks before all the COVID lockdowns. So now it's COVID lockdown and I've got this like phone boyfriend and we're just reading this amazing book back and forth to each other in our own respective backs. I say to him, but we have to take all sexual energy off the table. We can only do this as friends because you're still in your time. So like no flirting and it worked. We did no flirting for like two months. Wow. And then finally it was like, okay, I can't stand this anymore. I'm going to die if we don't just admit that we want to be with each other forever. (laughs) So what's going on, you know? (laughs) And so there's this constant dance I was doing of surrender, surrender, honor, honor, and then like claim what I need when I can't stand it anymore. And eventually I went out at this point, then he was in New Mexico. I went out to New Mexico and I saw him and we had this amazing like two weeks together. And I asked him if he would be my boyfriend and he said, no. But it was like, it didn't matter because I knew we were going to be together. Like it just, we were together. It's just, he couldn't like 
say yes to that at that point. Which makes sense based on his story. Yeah. And then, you know, a few months later I went and visited him again and we like did an official relationship ritual and that was it. And it was just like, yeah. And you know, one thing led to another, we ended up moving it. He ended up moving back to San Diego. Here we are, but we're, it's like definitely the most aligned, joyful, powerful, mutually supportive relationship I've ever been in. I'm like met and matched basically everywhere. And like the teeny places where I'm not, it doesn't matter because he's comes from a more like poly perspective, which is like compersion for my joy with, with others in the places where he can't meet me. Like, he's like, go do that, have that, whatever it is. And, you know, those things are not actually even sexual, but it's just such a good relationship. And it came from, yeah, I think that dance between surrendering to the mystery and claiming what I want Mm. and knowing which moment you need to do which thing, which, right. And I think that's about like consent and honor, like where, how can I be in consent with you, me, and the third entity that is us. And for our, our, we, we needed that space because he needed it so deeply that if I didn't honor it, it would have ruined everything. (laughs) And then also there were moments where we needed to come together. And if he didn't show up, it would have ruined everything. So there was this, I think that's inter-sovereignty where you can really negotiate with each other's needs, which requires knowing and honoring your needs and their needs and the needs of the relationship. I love that. And I think, you know, about the sick, honoring his six months left of his own boundary, like as women, if we are here, you know, learning how to claim our boundaries, we also have to honor men's, you know, it's like, cause women can be really manipulative and we can get what we want and we can, um, and we can, we can, yeah, use our protective mechanisms to, to convince otherwise. I mean, all humans can. And so I think that that's so beautiful, like it allowed, um, and it, and, and it also speaks to the, that place of non-attachment, which is so important. And I think that so many women listening can easily, we always say this whenever we're speaking to someone who's so deep and soulful and said so much work on themselves that this is not a fantasy fairy tale story. And like you had, like Catherine said, you have to know your soul. You have to be so anchored in your truth. And, and even still, you can think it's forever. And I don't know how old you are, but like, you know, when you're 95, you'll know if that's true or not. Like you can't feel that we know in this moment and life can go in many different directions. And so, yeah, I think so, so much of the power of this story is that the honoring self, honoring him and allowing the divine to orchestrate to what's occurring and, and trusting the experience of trusting that it will unfold as it, as it's meant to, and that you get to have a voice in it too. So there's just so many layers to, to Mm -hmm. it, but I want everyone to listen, who's listening to not, yeah, not latch on and think like, oh, this is how your story is going to play out. Cause if you haven't done the deep work and you don't know your soul soup like as deeply as you do, I mean, then it's not going <laughs> to necessarily play out in this way. And it's, I mean, mm-hmm. kind of incentive to do the work and to know your own soul and to know the difference between trauma responses in love and your soul responses in love. Like knowing the difference between those things is essential in order to experience 
what do you call it? My soul's aliveness, marrying my soul's aliveness. Like you can't know your soul's aliveness if it's your, if your trauma responses are leading. Yeah. I've, you know, I've worked with so many people and I think somebody had mentioned, one of you had mentioned like security, people staying for security, which, you know, in a patriarchal world, okay. Makes sense. Um, but so often one of the things I've seen a lot is like somebody's in a relationship and they're blaming their partner for their dissatisfaction instead of claiming their satisfaction as the most, as their responsibility. And, um, yeah. And it's just like, that's degenerative rather than regenerative. And, you know, I don't know what will happen with Sean. We always say like, you know, it feels like we'll be together forever, but life happens like anything's possible. Who knows? You know, I've, I've, I've gone through the mind break of marriage and divorce once. Like I know that that thing happens, right. And life is long, but, um, one of the things that sort of guides and anchors Sean and I is a commitment to asking each other questions that, that invite us both into our blueprint more. And I feel like this is a friendship move. Like I'll, I'll share what I mean by that. Like you know how with your best friend, you're always asking them questions like, well, what's really going to be the best thing for you? Or what's going to connect you to your aliveness the most? Or what's the move that's going to actually be in service to your greatest potential and your greatest growth? These kinds of questions. But with love, we get so attached to a person fulfilling our needs for us or whatever, that we stop being friends. We stop asking true, like questions that friends would ask questions that are actually in service to that person becoming their best version of themselves or whatever. Um, And so that's one of the commitments that Sean and I have to one another, which I think, you know, that's an indicator of a successful relationship, regardless of how long that relationship lasts. If you're actually being friends to one another, that's, you know, that's the thing. That's the medicine. All the, at this point, all the relationship research shows (laughs) that that's what makes love last to people who treat each other like friends. And I... I really appreciate hearing the reflection about commitment because I woke up with two things in my heart this morning, knowing we were going to talk to you. One was when you know your soul, you want your soul's story. So we, our message on the podcast is you get to have your story. Not everyone's life is supposed to look the same. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sitting with on the other end of Andrew's health stuff, having the, I'm falling in love again. I'm having, I mean, I already was having the best sex of my life with him, but now our sex is getting even better. (laughs) Um, And I've been thinking of like, there was nothing anyone could have told me to do differently when he was sick. Like, and people told me to leave you know, but I kept in, in so much trauma and so much pain. I had enough connection to myself and God that I knew our story wasn't done. Mm. And the messages I hear you, I mean, we can ever, 
I'm listening to your story with like, man, I want to be turned on. Like I can feel that like energy in my own body coming alive. And I can imagine people listening to you saying, oh, I want Rachel's story. I want to meet a sexy man in a restaurant on a Saturday night. Right. And it's like, <laughs> like I, I want to make a plug for want your soul's story. Know mm -hmm. that you have a mystery. I met Andrew online. Like online dating does work. And okay, if you don't want to do online dating, that requires a consciousness and a presence of how you're going to bring yourself in your life then, right? And want your story. Like mm -hmm. that's the message. Want your story in the way it unfolds for you and your soul. Partnered with the second thing in my heart is that commitment gets a bad rep. Mm. Commitment is sometimes the thing that keeps you together when the easy way out would be to bail. And, the, and the, the easy way out would be to say, like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore, rather than, wait a second, I made a commitment and can I lean in here to see whether, what is possible for the two of us? Because if I really get honest with myself, my commitment to being married to Andrew is what held the tension of the alchemical container that we were in. If you, everyone wants alchemy, but we forget the containers part of alchemy. Can't mm -hmm. have alchemy without a container, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it's not here. You can call Kate or Rachel and I and have a one-off session. <laughs> like, no, that's not, you don't get transformation that. right <laughs> that way, but everyone wants that. Like the Googling, tell me what to do. And so I love that you brought that in of like, okay, we, we don't have a fantasy of we'll be together forever. However, our commitment to each other actually means something because my marriage is done consciously in that way, right? Mm -hmm. We're committed to seeing what's possible between the two of us. We're committed to saying, and what is needed now in our, like, who are we being now? Because I'm, I'm, and I'm probably in this energy because our anniversary of being together for seven years is this week. Oh. Um, so I'm really thinking about that of like, I was a completely different person seven years ago and yet could know my soul enough and know the soul of him enough. And this is my story. Like, like I'm anchored and rooted in that. Like, this is my story. This is part of my mystery, part of what God wanted for me, part of how the divine is orchestrating my life. And when women don't have themselves, then it's all externally referencing. It's I'm listening to a podcast episode. I want her story. I want how she had it happen. Rather than if you root into what is, what's the invitation for me? Maybe the invitation for me is to stop online dating. Maybe the invitation for me is to try online dating. Maybe the invitation is for me to break up with the person I'm with right now because it's not in alignment or the invitation is to get clear on what I actually need. And so it feels important from this place to hear you talk about coherence because that is what transformed my life. That's now what I get to support my clients in doing. And I imagine through all of these steps for yourself, like that's like coherence is the relationship with your soul. And so in your words, you have to, to tell everyone what coherence is and like maybe a, a, a ritual around their own practice, like what would an invitation someone can take with them from this episode to bring them closer to their soul besides yeah. buy your book. <laughs> the one thing before you talk about that, because it's actually a perfect segue. So I love when you, when you mentioned 
um, how, you know, in relationship, we often blame the other person. I think because we're, we're often in fantasy in the beginning, thinking they are responsible for how we feel rather than in your story, you were already filled up, you were in your wellness, you were in your soul's sovereignty. And then, you know, he came along and activated some more of you. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't, you didn't give him credit for how you were feeling. And, and I think because we give credit to the other person often, well, he's so great. He's this, he's that Mm -hmm. he made me feel these ways. And then all of a sudden when those feelings go away, because our stuff, our trauma, our, our triggers come up, then the, the same thing happens in the painful way. Now we're blaming him for why don't I feel attraction anymore? Why doesn't he feel attraction anymore? Why? And, um, and I just wanted to share a really quick story that one of my clients, um, in her reclaiming of her sovereignty and her soul and coming back alive to what, what lights her up and, and doing the deeper work. She went from being in a trauma response marriage that she thought she was going to end when we started working together. Mm -hmm. And she's now like her reports back constantly are like, just like you and Andrew love are are, we are in a new marriage. Like and it's, it's simply from her no longer coming from her trauma responses, her being rooted in taking responsibility for her feelings, pain and pleasure. And now her husband's completely transformed and like, he's not even working with anyone. And he's just like mm-hmm. totally responding so differently to her because she's no longer blaming him for her pain. So yeah, yeah. that like that, that's it. So I'm so excited to hear what this thing is that you both are talking about. Um, Like this, it's, it's just like, that is how you can even transform a relationship right now that you may think is over. Totally. And, you know, I forget who said it. It was either like Carolyn Mace or Marianne Elliott, um, not Marianne, Williamson, Williamson about how it only takes one person to transform a relationship because if you're transforming your own relationship to your own soul's aliveness, the way that you relate to someone else, they're either going to change with you or they'll leave, or, you know, the relationship will end. So um, I'll go into coherence in a moment, but you know, the thing I always say about it's the same when you marry your soul's aliveness, when you say, okay, whether you're in a relationship or not, I'm going to figure out what are the things that bring my soul all the way alive? What are the ways like, what are the ways that I get to be? Who do I get to be? Who are the, like the archetypal energies that I'm embodying? What are the practices that I have? What are the rhythms that I keep? What are the ways I nourish myself? Who, who do I surround myself with that brings my soul all the way to life? Mm. And can I be married to that mm. aliveness, the practice of those alive, that aliveness? Can I marry the practice of my own soul's aliveness? When you do that, your relationships, what the ones that you're in and the ones that you're not in transform, right? So me being in the, the practice and the devotion and the commitment of marrying my own soul's aliveness, I met my partner. And just like you're saying, he was like, well, who's this magical, mystical witch over here? Like, damn, right? And that marriage to my own soul's aliveness also gave me the courage to say, okay, let's not talk for six months. I don't need you to feel my soul's aliveness. Um, I, I, it's definitely complimentary and I like to not be so damn alone. So yes, come on over. And also I do think there are things like, there are things that Sean brings out in me that I 
don't bring yes. out of myself very yes. well. Yes, he activates things in you that you don't experience in other relationships. It's still you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's still me. And I do think there's something to needing one another to interdependence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about my relationship with my best friend, Jody, who's basically like a life partner. Catherine knows Jody. I mean, Jody and I are constantly asking those questions of like, well, what's your soul's aliveness and how can I support you in your marriage to it? Um, and we have really complementary skills. She's actually a co-owner of my company now. And because we have different skills, like there are, like I straight up need Jody. period. <laughs> I need her. <laughs> she brings things to my life that like without her, it would suck. It would yes. straight up suck. And the same is true with Sean. Like I need him for what he brings to me. Yes. But that doesn't mean that like, that if, if, if my soul was withering inside the context of that needing that I should keep it. So we do need each other and it's normal and human and like just necessary to admit how much we need each other, but the needing becomes codependent or unhealthy or potentially toxic when it's not complemented by both people's souls coming more alive in the presence of one another. Mm-hmm. I think like needing each other gets a bad rap. Catherine, yes. you're saying like commitment gets yeah. a bad rap. Well, interdependence gets a bad yeah. rap. Like, no, yeah. you shouldn't need anyone. You should be totally independent. And like, mm-hmm. I'm just not on that program. <laughs> yeah, and I think needing each other within the context of taking responsibility for yourself and your pain yes. and your, and, and yeah, and, and working through your pain. I don't work through my pain by myself. It's not like, mm-hmm. I'm deep in my, I'm, I'm boxering Catherine crying my eyes out. Like I'm working through it with people. I'm not it. And so of course I need people and it's like, and I can handle it myself. Like it's the, it's coming from that place of, yeah, of, of sovereignty in the mid of, in the middle interdependence. Mm-hmm. Um, I need you. And I am responsible for me. Like you're not, yeah. cause I think the codependence, which used to be, I used to be full on this side um, really codependent with my parents and then really codependent in all my relationships from a little girl place. Like I can't do this without you yeah. versus I can do this without you. And I choose to not. Right. Need yeah. you, And I want you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's super important to talk about that. So coherence, um, basically with these seven archetypes and their blueprints, Um, there's a practice that you can do where you make an intention or you ask a question. So let's just talk about love. Like, let's say your intention is, um, I mean, it could even be to marry your soul's aliveness since we're on that conversation, or it could be to be in the relationship of your dreams. But I think let's just go with marry your soul's aliveness. So how do I marry my soul's aliveness? My question is rooted in what I'm wanting, not rooted in what I'm not wanting, right? It's not, how do I get out of this dead end relationship or this dead end relationship with myself? It's how do I marry my soul's aliveness? And then you move through the seven archetypes. Um, The first one, the blueprint is worthiness and receptivity. And each of these archetypes relates to a body part um, or a few body parts. And there are affirmations that act as if the archetype were speaking from the blueprint. So for example, with the soul seed, the first archetype, which connects to our youngest age and stage, our baby self, um, we first 
came into our humanness in our mother's womb. And when we were inside the womb, we were connected through the umbilicus and fully protected and also fully fed. We received everything we needed effortlessly in an ideal setting. Of course, sometimes there's situations that aren't ideal, but talking about ideal blueprint setting. So then we're born and the umbilical cord is cut. And the first thing that we kind of, again, effortlessly instinctually know how to do is cry for what we need. We cry for warmth, we cry for body to body, we cry for food, we cry because things aren't right, like the light's too bright or whatever, we're cold, we're hot, whatever, all the cries, poops on my pants, you know, all the things. So we're constantly crying and it's just embodied, it's, it's an embodied message of I need, I need, I need, I need. And then the, the skill that we have is to one, feel what we need, cry for what we need, and then receive what we need and then do it all over again. So this is our youngest developmental capacity is to sense our needs, mobilize on behalf of our needs and receive our needs. So this coherence practice for the soul seed, soul seed, eternal self, body self, our first developmental stage is you put your hands on your belly, you rub your belly and you just simply say, I am here. I am now, I matter. I'm worthy of feeding my needs. I'm designed to grow and thrive. I need, I need, I need. What is it that you need? And what you do before you say the affirmations is you imagine your, your question. So how do I marry my soul's aliveness? You bring that into your mind's eye. Maybe see an image of you kind of married to your soul's aliveness, whatever percentage of that is visible for you right now. And you kind of breathe that down, down, down into your belly. Like it's going down an elevator. Rachel's soul's aliveness, right? It's in your belly. I am here. I am now. I matter. What do you see? What do you sense? What do you feel? What do you hear? You slow it down. I'm worthy of feeding my needs. What shows up? I'm designed to grow and thrive. Imagining yourself married to your own soul's aliveness, growing and thriving, what do you see? I need, I need, I need, I need. Fill in the blank, what do you need in order to really marry your soul's aliveness? And then finally, I am receiving. I am receiving, I am receiving. Seeing, sensing, feeling, hearing yourself, receiving that which you need in order to be married to your soul's aliveness. So that's the coherence practice more or less for the first archetype of the soul seed, but there are seven archetypes and we move from worthiness and receptivity at the center to sovereignty, healthy boundaries. As your soul seed starts to receive what it needs, it grows. And when it starts to grow, it needs to know that it will be protected in order for it to keep growing. And it doesn't just need to know it, it needs to experience protection. It also needs to experience continued provisions. So gatekeeping, healthy boundaries, sovereignty, it's not just about keeping things out, but it's about mobilizing to bring things in. So you move into the gatekeeper. I get to decide what comes in and what stays out. And this is the hips, the pelvis, the genitals. And then you 
grow some sovereignty. And what starts to happen is that soul seed, it's getting watered, it's protected, and it begins to grow up through the midline into the heart space. And this is where your expressionista lives. We're moving from baby to child to adolescent. And in the heart space, you're really wanting to know that you are medicine, that your identity, that your feelings, that the truth in your heart are medicine in the world, that you can fully express yourself. So there's affirmations about whole self-expression and about identity reclamation, about really naming and claiming who you're meant to be in the world and being praised and received and loved for that. Of course, the imprint there would be shame and repression. Mm. So you keep going through these seven archetypes and there's affirmations and there's movements and you bring the question into each of these parts of the body. And by the end, you start to hear what I like to call like a coherent thread. You start to hear similar messages or complementary messages from each of the archetypes. And if you listen to that coherence, if you follow that coherence, what that does is it puts you in harmony with life itself because these archetypes are moving through a developmental path that allows for you to grow and bloom and thrive and regenerate just like nature. So, you know, when you're, when you're at a crossroads, when you've got a big question, whether it's about love or money or business or sex or anything, you can do this practice with these seven archetypes and you get radical clarity and radical knowing of the right way to move. And then it just takes the courage to listen. Awesome. Wow. You're so amazing. <laughs> As you were doing the first one, I felt like I was like under a meditative trance. Do you do, you do this in, in meditation? Like, do you have a meditation version yeah. of this? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So there's a whole class called the Rebloom Coherence class and you get all of the archetypes. You get like a little, you know, mini video, like talk on each of the archetypes and then a practice. And then there's also a full length practice. It's about an hour that goes through all seven archetypes together. And there's, you, you pause and you journal and it's really powerful practice. This, this practice has completely changed my life plus like all of my clients and students and stuff like and mine and then all of my <laughs> clients and students as a, as a result yeah yeah so amazing you have helped me reclaim slow mm. like slow decision making slower sex <laughs> slow kissing <laughs> you know, slow around taking the time to even hear the answers, you know, like when I'm, I'm listening to you in the remembrance about the coherence practice. I mean, it's all, all of it is we, we want overnight success. We want insta love. We want instant answer, right? Like we, I'm thinking of that. We did an episode, God, like right when we started the podcast about our psychics ruining your love life, because I'm thinking about the people like that. Like I go to a psychic to tell me about my relationship and my love life rather than my coherence practice and my soul's aliveness and mm. finding answers for ourselves and just thinking on the, the energetic of so many women. It's somebody else knows what's best for me. You know, like I should just be lucky I have a relationship. So I'm not allowed to have any needs inside of it. And mm. And if I'm, and then I'm afraid that if I ask for what I need, the relationship will end, which then will mean I'll never get that need met rather than 
abundance. And you have also helped me root in that, not only through saying affirmations, like I can feel abundant, like when I go to scarcity or lack, or when I start comparing myself, there's a place in my body now that I can come home to around abundance. And that's what trauma healing for me has done. That's what it helps my clients do. This is moving away from mindset work. Yeah. Like this is, I can find the place in myself when my mind is busy. And I'm so happy you shared the coherence practice. I'm so happy the coherence course exists for everybody. Um, I know. It only took, speaking of slow, it only took three years to get it out. Are you worth everything? I need to know, are you a projector? I'm not. I'm a manifesting generator, but people always, but I have a lot of projector tendencies. Like I just want to rest and like not do shit. (laughs) And and I actually had a call with a woman, a human design expert one day. And she said, yeah, I'm a manifesting generator, but I've designed my business and life like a projector um, so that I have way more free time to enjoy life. And I I ask you because um, I, I, it's funny. I imagined you were a manifesting generator when I felt that you feel like a projector but it's probably everything that Catherine's talking about. I imagine based on what you've created that you're a manifesting generator, but the feeling I have when I'm a projector, Mm. I feel, you feel to me like a projector, like the soft, the slow, aligned projector. Yeah, totally. It's like that, but but, um, yeah, it's so beautiful. So it's so cool to know that you're a manifesting generator and that you, because a lot of my friends who are that have a hard time slowing down, have a hard time resting, have a hard time not working. And I think it's so beautiful. Like it, go, it obviously speaks volumes to what you do that, that, mm-hmm. um, like that's trauma healing, that, um, <laughs> that's, yeah. yeah, that's a, a result of embodiment and following your, I, I think what's that. It's like that stupid, cheesy quote of like, when you, are when you stumble onto your soul's path, like suddenly you have all the energy you've, you can, you know, you've ever needed. And I, I think when you're doing things from your soul, mm-hmm. that that's how it feels. And when you're not, when you're doing what you think you're supposed to do when you're doing what everybody else is doing when you when you're guilty or ashamed about what your truth is and you avoid it that's when you're exhausted <laughs> like that's that's when you're when you're chasing when you meet somebody and you're convinced that they need to be the answer to all of your problems and then you wonder why you're in a horrible relationship I mean, I can feel my ex asking me to get back together and my body dropping into no, but yes came out of my mouth. That began our three-year on again, off again. Mm -hmm. Like that was after the first breakup, but me saying yes when my body was a no, three years of on again, off again, you know? Um, But it it takes time. And that's what I was saying. It's like, you know, with coherence, you can hear the truth, but then it takes the courage to follow it. And Hmm. I think what's helpful about the coherence practice is it just makes what's true ever more available to you. You can't hide it. You've just excavated it. And if you do it, if you have the courage to do it more than once, you're going to continue getting the same truth more or less. Um, Like lately, I've been doing the coherence practice around sort of what's the next stage and evolution of my business, because I just wrote this book and like, you know, I've got this coach training and things are pretty chill, like, which is great. You know, it's like, cool. Things are chill. Like, what do I want to do? You know? 
um, with my new creative energy, manifesting generator energy. Mm -hmm. And the message I get over and over and over again, when I do my coherence is like the earth, like actually just make a flower garden, tend to bees. Like there's no, I have zero professional ambitions right now besides tending to the earth and potentially helping a few other people who want to like birth a body of work. Cause I just have a lot of experience with that. I'm like, okay, that'd be fun. Like, but I don't, I, you know, I just feel really professionally chill, which is super interesting. And there could be some part of me that wants to like rile things up or, but I'm good financially. I mean, I'm just, I'm also over the whole, like only ever continual growth, like the capitalist trauma spell of like, this is the way to some, some version of happiness or fulfillment when the reality is regeneration moves in cycles. And so I'm realizing, okay, I've had this huge harvest um, things are good. I can keep harvesting off of this one sort of regenerative garden of rebloom and the coach training and the coherence course, blah, blah, blah. What do I want to do? And like literally everything in my body and soul is like looking at the future of the planet. I want to regenerate the actual earth. I want to plant flowers. I want to keep tons of bees. I want everything that we're doing uh, as a company rebloom, you know, LLC, to give back to the earth. It's just like a very simple, it's like, it's all for the earth. There's no, this is, it's all for the earth and not because the earth needs us, but because we as humans don't want to live on a dying planet. Like my great, great grandchildren want fucking water, clean water. It's for preserving the beauty of our planet. So if you want to, if you're interested in coherence practice, cause I know some people or you, one of y'all asked if you go to rebloomtogether.com slash coherence, you can get the soul seed coherence practice, totally free. There's like a workbook, there's a video about it. There's, you know, the practice itself. And there's also a video that goes through all seven archetypes and tells the story of them and their blueprints versus imprints. And that's all free. And then the class itself, we have sliding scale options. We really just want this medicine to be available to people. So it's accessible, it's self-paced, it's beautiful. You should go enjoy it. We'll make sure the link is in the notes too. (laughs) I have goosebumps every time you talk, like you're just so eloquent and soft, soft spoken and just, wow, everyone should do it. I can't wait to do it myself. That's so cool. Yeah. Let me know how it goes. I will for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your love stories and your brilliance and just, yeah, so special. What a amazing episode. Now I understand Catherine's obsession with you. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are so, so sweet. Good. This is a really fun, juicy conversation. Mm-hmm. It is so good. Do you have any in in the themes of soul love, marrying your soul's aliveness, any last medicine sitting on your heart? I think I really would just say be brave. Mm. Be brave enough, like you kept saying, Catherine, to know your own soul. Because I think... It, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but I think that when you do meet soulmates, whether they're friends, collaborators, like the two of you, um, partners, beloveds, lovers, whatever they are, your medicine amplifies in each other's presence. And really, I mean, I could be kind of dramatic and be like, that's what our culture needs right now. And that could be true. <laughs> On but- the next episode of the bachelor. 
Yeah. But even more so it's like, it's just fun. It's more fun to face a challenging world with someone who you really resonate with. So get brave enough to know what makes living in this challenging world fun for you. What makes you feel like you're super alive, riding the waves of what it means to be human in this wild freaking era. Like what really, really brings you to life and just be brave enough to say, this is it. Even if it's different, you know, for me, like I have to own, like, I'm not very conventional. I'm super mystical. I'm not like conventional in terms of monogamy. Like I'm non-monogamous. I am not a capitalist, like these things, right? Like I, it brings me to life to share. It brings me to life to have compersion. It brings me to life um, to do spells and make potions. And like, what are the things that brought you to life when you were little to spend lots of time in nature, to not be on my computer or my phone? Like these things bring me alive. The more I can own that, it brings me to life to write, to tell stories, to create alchemical containers where that things can transform inside. That's fun for me. What's fun for you? What's truly fun for you? And fun can be really hard to grasp when you've yes. been like, when everything feels hard, but what is fun for you? And can you just be brave enough to admit what's really fun for you or to find it? And if, if fun feels impossible, can you be brave enough to like cry to someone and be like, I have no idea what fun is, right? And then can you be brave enough to say, I insist on the people I'm around feeling fun feeling like we can play together. We can play because I, I think playfulness could potentially be a very underrated medicine on our planet. If we actually got to play with one another, we would probably do a lot less destroying, competing, stealing, extracting. Mm -hmm. We just have the fulfillment of joy with one another. So what, what's joyful for you? Be brave enough to seek that out and to seek out others who you really feel like you can be in joy with. Freaking love it. <laughs> Freaking love it. And I, I always think, you know, it's like getting back to who we were when we were little, like when, when that was our nature and even boundaries were our nature. And like we, we yeah. had all of these things when we were little and an ability to express our feelings like you were talking about, like all the different things that we're trying to get back to. And I just think like adults walk around so dull and taking life so seriously and so responsible and trying hard and forcing themselves and pushing themselves and proving and just like, why? So we can like get to the end of our lives and be like, well, I'm glad I freaking pushed and forced and proved and lived out this script that wasn't even mine. Like the, the, the whole point of being here is, is that, you know, just... Love. I, I shared on, oh, it was a couple months ago because we just moved here and we went from uh, a very small town and situate with mostly older people, no little kids to now Charlotte where my whole block is little kids. And every day they ring the doorbell and say, can Leela come out to play? And there's not, is Leela worthy of playing with? Like, that's what they do to each other. Like I sit at my desk and I watch them all go down the street, ringing everybody's doorbell saying, can so-and-so come out to play? And I, 
I mean, I'm here to help people find relationship. Like I'm, I'm clear that I believe partnership is what will heal the world. So I so appreciate you bringing this in. Mm -hmm. And I shared in my recent, I just ended my eight week dating program. And I said, life is hard enough. Please God find someone that when you partner with them, your life becomes easier and bearable, (laughs) right? Like that, that's the point, you know, no one's meant to be sitting in their apartment by themselves. Um, and I, I, I could feel that there was one more thing on your heart. So I'm so happy uh, you just let that land. And I actually wanted to read, um, this is from uh, Marion Woodman, but is in Clarissa Pincola SD's book, Women um, Who Run With the Wolves. And this is about choosing lovers from your soul. And it feels like the best send off on just everything you've shared and like what we're here for. And may every choice in your life reflect your soul. And this is what you've helped me do. Mm. This is absolutely what you've helped me do. And my soul, I mean, I knew you were my teacher. I also want to really name that you're one of the only people I know that in trainings has named her lineage and given credit to the people you've learned from. And that has been incredibly healing for me. And now something I take very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for that. And, and thank you even as you did it in our interview today. Yeah. So um, this is from Marion Woodman. The way to maintain one's connection to the wild is to ask yourself what it is that you want. This is the sorting of the seed from the dirt. Mm. One of the most important discriminations we can make in this matter is the difference between things that beckon to us and things that call from our souls. Nowhere can this be seen more clearly than in the choice of mates and lovers. A lover cannot be chosen a la smorgasbord. A lover has to be chosen from soul craving. To choose just because something mouthwatering stands before you will never satisfy the hunger of the soul self. And that is what the intuition is for. It is the direct messenger of the soul. Mm. so marion woodman's been along around a long time and i feel there is that that medicine of the mystery that drops in through each and every one of us and your commitment to listening to your soul rachel birthed rebloom these coherence practices like you you are bringing the world, you're bringing the soul. I'm going to cry now. You are bringing soul back to the world. And that is what happens when each, and when women are alive, that's what will change the planet. When women come alive and refuse to settle and refuse to be okay with the horrible things that are happening on our planet. And we all come together and say no at every level. Not only in romance, like to say no to child abuse, to say no to the way we're treating our planet, to say no to being busy all the time, mm-hmm. you know, for each other. Yes. So thank you, thank you, thank you for this extraordinary episode. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. We'll make sure all the links are below. Everyone run to get this book. <laughs> Rebloom, get the book. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Hi, it's Kate. Thanks so much for listening to the New Truth Podcast. For more of 
Catherine and I come hang out with us in the New Truth Movement Facebook group. We are in there. That's where we're sharing all about our programs and our free workshops that we do. Um, you can come join us there and ask as many questions as you want about the podcast episodes, about dating relationships, any struggles you're having out there. We would love to support you. So come hang out with us in the New Truth Movement Facebook group and we will see you soon.